Uh, let's go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're going to get you to do a little Bible reading with us this morning. The text is a bit on the long side, uh, verses 57 through 80. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it, all right? We stand to stretch and prepare and honor the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 57, the Bible says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. This is the story of John the Baptist, his origin, right? And they said to her, there is no one among your, your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to, what he would like to name the child. He, Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Now all of the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Say all. They were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. But his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the, the hand of the, all those who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, verse 76, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Again, this is speaking of John. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him and to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the raising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your holy word. We believe your holy word is powerful. It is your way of speaking to us even today. And Father, as we lead up to Christmas, I believe that you are speaking to people. I believe that you are talking to your church. I believe that you are talking to our visitors and to our guests. And this morning, we believe, Lord, that you are able to lead us. 
We believe you are able to give us marching orders and instruction. We believe that you are able to give us wisdom and the knowledge that we need. We pray that you would do that very thing. God, just have your way. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, what, listen, whether you like it or not, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And listen, by now, most of us have seen a little snow. Some of us up north have seen a little bit more than those down south. And uh, we have seen a few holiday decorations uh, uh, light up the night. Amen. Some of you have that neighbor who every year around this time has to string up the whole yard and, and house like Clark Griswold on the Christmas Vacation movie. But it's tradition, so maybe some of you expect it. Now, we all have our favorite Christmas traditions, don't we? Uh, maybe it's decorating the tree. Maybe it's visiting with family. Maybe it's baking cookies and setting out a plate for Santa. Maybe you just like driving around uh, and checking out all of the Christmas lights. But listen, an important part of almost every, of almost all Christmas traditions is the soundtrack. How many of you know this time of year has a soundtrack? There's a soundtrack to Christmas. There's a soundtrack to this time of year. You see, the music of, of Christmas is forever linked to the season of Christmas, and you can't have one without the other. Most of us anticipate the time when we can crank up uh, Bing Crosby singing White Christmas or Nat King Cole belting out chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Those are like wonderful music decorations for sure. It's almost like they set the mood, right? But listen, as far as I'm concerned, Christmas is not about Christmas is not Christmas without some old school carols of Christmas. Our team, our teenagers, our families went yesterday to the Studley home. They did some Christmas caroling, and uh, listen, those residents there at the nursing home, they were blessed by those Christmas carols. They were blessed by those old school carols. Listen, uh, we're talking about the classic and timeless hymns heralding the coming of Christ. Those are the ones I really like. I don't know about you. I don't mind singing the fun ones here and there and some of the children ones here and there, but those are the ones I, I like, like, the, like from the ancient, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to the cheerful strains of joy to the world, from the hauntingly beautiful chorus of, of what child is this, to the quiet and yet assuring German folk hymn, Silent Night. Listen, the carols of Christmas always reach deep into our hearts and they stir believers of Christ into adoration. But I suspect that they also stir many unbelieving hearts to maybe reconsider the true meaning of of Christmas. That, that's why those songs are important. That's why the hymns are important. That's why we, we, we can't stop singing those timeless classic Christmas carols. And so last week we began this new series, Classic Christmas Carols as we lead up to Christmas, 
But the songs that I'm referring to this morning in this series are not the ones that you and I are accustomed to singing or even hearing on the radio. In fact, as I mentioned last Sunday, the tradition of singing Christmas carols at Christmas uh, time can be traced all the way back to the very beginning. And so in the nativity story, as told in the first and second chapters of Luke, there are actually four uh, four short songs or, or four Christmas carols that maybe you don't even know about. Classic Christmas carols to be exact. And listen, for the purpose of this message series, I want us to consider the powerful lyrics found in these classic Christmas carols. Now, listen, the first one comes to us from the heart and the lips of Jesus' young mother, Mary, like we discussed last week, and in a, a praise-filled solo entitled The Magnificat. Anybody remember what we said about Magnificat? Sounds like some superhero cat or something, but it's the Magnificat. Mary praises God for being mindful of her, for the mighty deeds he has done, and for the mercy he would show to generation after generation through the birth of her son, Jesus Christ. But Mary isn't the only soloist in this Christmas pageant. The next song we hear is written and performed by Mary's uncle, Zechariah. Now listen, if you recall from last Sunday, uh, when, we, when Mary found out about her pregnancy, she actually traveled over to, to the hill country of Judea to visit her aunt and her uncle, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who had recently experienced a miracle of their own. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both very old and had been unable to, to conceive a child. But one fateful day, Zechariah experiences this, a heavenly encounter that changed everything forever. As a priest, one of Zechariah's duties included entering the holy place within the temple and burning incense. This was done twice a day and, and the priests would actually take turns doing it. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 1 verses 11 through 13 that while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel, say angel, an angel appeared of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. How many of you, of you would be a little freaked out if you saw an angel, like a real angel? That would definitely startle us. It would get our attention. And the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him what? John. Miraculously, the angel's announcement came to fruition. Elizabeth actually became pregnant. And nine months later, friends, neighbors, and relatives rejoiced with them at, their, at the birth of their, their son, John. And then during their baby shower, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to prophesy in poetic prose. In fact, the song in his heart actually explodes with pent-up praise. Now, listen, while the lyrics might might not be catchy or memorable to us here in 2023, they proclaim the coming of a mighty Savior whose birth would change the course of history and whose birth would change many of your lives even this morning. How, how many of your lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ? He's done that. 
And this song, this, this song praises God for deliverance from sin and talks about the reign of the devil in our world. It's basically an announcement of a giant movement in God's divine clock. It ushers in a new era on mankind with the coming of Christ. And in this Christmas carol, Zechariah refers to a horn, a house, and a holiness. A horn, say a horn. A house and a holiness. Each of those represents something important uh, uh, connected with the coming of Christ. But first, let's talk about the horn. Any horn players in the house? None? Anybody ever even attempt? No? Okay. Oh, all right. We saw some attempts. We saw, listen, Zechariah's classic carol, that one was known as Benedictus, all right? Benedictus, that's a little easier to say than Magnificat. And so Benedictus opens up with these lines in verses 68 and 69. Go back to your text. Uh, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. We're talking about a horn this morning, a horn in this classic Christmas carol. What in the world is this horn all about? Like, what are you talking about, Pastor Freddie? What is, what is the Bible even talking about? You know, this weird image of Jesus as the horn of our salvation during Christmas doesn't quite connect with us here in 2023, but the kind of horn that's meant here is not actually a musical horn, all right? And we might assume that it is because it's Christmas and so horns and carols and no, it's not, a, it's not a musical instrument. Instead, it's the deadly weapon of the horn of a wild ox. That's the imagery we should get. Jesus, the horn of our salvation uh, uh, as a deadly weapon. In fact, the horn is actually a symbol of strength. And a means of victory, and Zechariah's song, his carol, mentions it. Now, immediately, I don't know what your history is, and I don't know what you uh, might think of. Immediately, I thought of an event called the Bull Run in Pamploma. Anybody ever hear about the Bull Run in Pamploma? All right, if you haven't, I'll tell you about it. This is a crazy event in Spain where a small group of of bulls have actually been let loose on the streets in a town. It would be like us in Rochester, New Hampshire saying the streets around the community center here, we're just going to let some some bulls go free and we're just going to we're going to prod them, we're going to get make them really angry and we're just going to let them loose. Check it out. This actually happens to this day in Spain. All right? And so during a festival, there are young men who attempt, say attempt, they attempt to run ahead and as near and as close to the bulls as, as possible. And so they are running and there are sharp, very sharp horns that are very close to them. And they're supposed to run as close as they can without being gorged to death. They're crazy, and there are death. The, the, the death toll has gone up and up every year because it happens. You don't mess with a bull and not get, get gorged sometimes. That event is supposed to signify bravery and strength. I think it's crazy. Anybody else think it's crazy? 
Listen, anyways, with that in mind, it's not hard to imagine why the horn of the wild ox became a symbol to the ancient Near Eastern people. They had no cars and they had no tanks and they had no motors. And so it was a sign of tremendous strength and a, a means of victory in a conflict to them. And the phrase horn of salvation actually appears in the Bible at least uh, at two places in 2 Samuel 22.3 and in Psalm 18 and verse 2. And both times David, King David, wrote about this horn after God had saved him from his enemies. Watch the context. Watch the application. In Psalm 18.2, David says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In the Bible, God is always the one who fights for his people in our lives. How many of you know that God is fighting for you? God is fighting for you, whether you realize it or not. In fact, God is the source of our strength. God is the source of our victory. And so just as a, a wild oxen's power is concentrated in its horns, God's divine strength is concentrated in Jesus Christ as He is the horn of our salvation. Here we have Zechariah. Man, I wish I could sing. I wish I could put a tune to, to what he's saying. Zechariah is singing. He is telling us in this classic Christmas carol that Jesus Christ did not visit planet Earth simply to see how we were doing. How many of you know Jesus didn't come just to see how we were doing? He knew how we were doing. He knew exactly how we were doing. That's why he came. Listen, because of sin, you and I, we, we, we were in trouble. You and I, because of sin, we were headed for hell. And, and, and we needed to, to be able to, to qualify. We needed to be able to answer to the justice of God that the justice of God requires. But Jesus came to save us. We said last week, the justice we deserve is because of, because of sin. The justice we deserve is eternity in hell. I know some people, they don't like that. They're like, but Pastor Freddie, I, I do more good than bad. How could you say I deserve hell? Well, listen, did you know that only, e even if you only committed one sin in your life, that one sin is enough to qualify you for hell? We don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that. Yes, without Jesus, that one sin, say, say you're perfect your whole life, that one sin can keep you in, in, in eternity with the devil and his angels in hell. That's serious. That's serious. We, we, we need the horn of salvation. We need to know. And so Jesus came and he, he, he came to save. He came to be the horn of our salvation. He came to show us what Christmas was going to really be all about. I'm so glad that he's the horn of my salvation. I'm so glad that I don't have to uh, deliver on the justice of God. I could never measure up. My life could never measure up. No matter how perfect I try to be, no matter how religious... Listen, I grew up in a persuasion where we went to church and where we crossed ourselves, where we uh, tried to do more good than bad. At the end of the day, your goodness does not qualify you for heaven or salvation. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. 
That's what Christmas is all about. See, back during World War II, a little boy and his daddy, they were driving home on Christmas Eve, and they actually, excuse me, they drove past rows and rows of houses with Christmas trees and decorations in the windows, and in many of the windows, the little boy actually noticed a star. And so right away, he asked his father, he said, Daddy, why do some people have a star in their window? Why are there houses with those stars? And his daddy told him that the star meant that the family actually had a son that was fighting in a war. That's what the star signified. And so as they pulled into their driveway uh, with the innocence of a little boy, the little boy caught sight of the evening stars shining brightly in the sky above. And he said to his daddy, look, daddy, God's got a star in his window. He must have a son in the war, too. That boy, that little boy. Such insight. Jesus Christ came into the world to fight a war for your salvation. And in so do doing, he gored Satan. He pierced sin. He gutted death. So because Jesus is the horn of our salvation, he has the power to save us from sin and death. And he's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who's qualified. And so in Zechariah's classic Christmas carol, the horn represents the power of Christmas found in Jesus Christ, the power of God. And this Christmas season, you and I, we can truly celebrate by accepting Jesus into our hearts for the first time maybe, or by allowing him to fill you with the strength to live for him every single day. I don't know about you, but I need strength to live for him. I need strength to, to go about my business and not live in sin. I need strength to know that, you know what, it's not my goodness. Even after asking Jesus to come in, it's not my goodness that keeps me going. It's the goodness of God. It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. It's the unconditional love of a Savior who has said, I have come for you. I want to be the horn of your salvation. And if you'll let me, I will give you hope and a purpose and a new future. And listen, in, a, in, the, in the next verse of this uh, classic Christmas carol, Zechariah, so he, he has sung about a horn and now he's about to sing about a house. Say house. And, and, and I don't pretend to know what your house is like. I would dare say your house is different than mine. Over the years, there has always, in my house, there has always been a lot of excitement and a lot of anticipation leading up to Christmas. As you can imagine, with three boys, especially when they were little, man, I have stories. I'm sure you have stories about the anticipation and the excitement that children bring into Christmas. And, and so we as parents, we had to do a lot of coaching. And dad didn't always cooperate. 
But we had to do a lot of coaching to keep first things first with Jesus at the center of Christmas and not just the gifts. I've told you the story how I, because I grew up poor and I didn't get much, so I thought I needed to shower them and I thought they needed a, a thousand and a hundred gifts. I think I've told you the story of my little baby boy, Alex, who didn't even know the difference between wrapping paper and the box or what was inside and all of the boxes and all of the gifts that I had provided for him. And my wife was like, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. You, you do realize he's not even a year old. You do realize that, that the, you know, his eyes are developing. It's all fuzzy colors. It's all fuzzy colors. But in that excitement, in that anticipation, I, I got caught up in it a little bit too, but we had to do some coaching. At our house on, uh, on Christmas Day, we like to read the Bible about the, the first Christmas, and we like to take turns actually uh, picking uh, what carols to sing uh, before we actually open the gifts. We, we go through that. We, were, we actually were able to get our hands on some hymnals that were being thrown away, and I said, no, 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 I want some of those. I want to keep some of those. I'm so glad I kept them. We use them to this day. We use them. We sing the songs. And, and when our boys were little, they were like, come on, let's do this. Let's, there's shiny bows. There's a box with my name on it. Such thrill, such excitement, such anticipation. But we kept first things first. The first Christmas story and the hymns, the classic Christmas carols. And Listen, I, I think it's supposed to be that way. I think there should be some excitement. I think there should be just a, a thrill. It isn't anything new. See, it was the same way the first Christmas. Zechariah alludes to this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 70 where he says that this, this horn of salvation has been raised up in the house. Say house has been raised up, the horn of the salvation raised up in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. And so the Old Testament prophesied, the Old Testament foretold that Christ would be born of the house of David. And guess what happened? He was. He was. As a, as a godly Jew, Zechariah can't get over the fact that God has at long last kept his promise and his carol, his classic carol, he rejoices in that fact. And listen, the Old Testament was filled with prophecies about the coming of Christ, the, the birth of the Messiah. In fact, Isaiah is the one who said he would actually come from the house of David in Isaiah 11. And Jeremiah did too in Jeremiah 23. But Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 7, 14, that the virgin shall conceive a child she will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. Michael, Micah also said that the Messiah would be born in a little town of Bethlehem. And even old Abraham looked forward to this day, as did Isaac, as did Jacob, as did Moses, uh, just, and David. They all saw it coming they just didn't know exactly when it would happen. It was as if the prophets provided the first advent calendar with no numbers on it. 
And so all of these prophecies built anticipation, all of this foretelling built the expectation for the coming Messiah. And so instead of singing, "'Twas the night,' or instead of reciting, "'Twas the night before Christmas," parents would sit their children down around the fire and they would read to them from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6 maybe, "'For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful.'" Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Says Zechariah. Let's call him Zeke. Zeke. He, he was like a child coming down the stairs on Christmas morning. Seeing the piles and piles of presents underneath the tree and, and a crumb-covered plate and a half a full glass of milk. Finally, finally the day has arrived. All of his excitement, all of that anticipation, it wasn't for nothing. God is with us. Finally with us. The Messiah, our Messiah has come. See Zechariah's reference to the house of David represents the promises of Christ's coming. The promise of Christ's coming. Zechariah is also telling us something very, very crucial. Some of you know this. Our God is a God of promises and he always keeps them. Let me say that again. Our God is a God of promises and he always keeps them. God is a promise keeper. And I know that that concept uh, kind of eludes us, maybe even upsets us. You have been told someone has promised you something. Someone, someone has said they were going to do something and they broke their promise to you. And, and so when you talk about promises, you're like you don't have a, a bad memory or you don't have a good memory rather. You are thinking promise breaker. But Jesus, the horn of our salvation, of the house of David. He is a promise keeper. He keeps all of his promises. You and I, we live in a world of broken promises and unfulfilled expectations. And yet the Bible records over 7,000 promises from God to his people and he has kept every single one of them. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 4, and 5, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond. Say respond. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. How do we respond to God? How do we respond to his promises? I hope by responding you act on them. We live and we act as if they were certain, as if they were sure, indisputable, unquestionable, because that's exactly what they are. God has made you a promise. He's going to fulfill it. 
Let's live expectantly for the second coming of Christ the way the prophets and priests and people of old lived expectantly for the first. And let's live confidently trusting in the promises of our God. Finally, in addition to the horn and the house, Zechariah sings about a holiness. Say holiness. Zechariah brings the half of the song to a close, right? half of the Christmas carol. He reminds us in Luke chapter 1, 74 and 75 that Christ came for a purpose. Say purpose. Christ came for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we can, can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Again, Christ came for a purpose. That purpose is so you and I can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Listen, holiness represents the purpose of Christmas. Christ's coming gives us purpose. In these verses, Zechariah speaks of total transformation, the total transformation that Jesus will make in our lives as we follow him. Listen, the truth is salvation leads to sanctification. Sanctification is that holiness and righteousness, and it always leads to service. Holiness means to be set apart for God, and righteousness means to do what is right. Both are demonstrated through service. Listen, whether it's in church or in the community, we serve God by serving people. That's how we demonstrate the holiness of God. He's the horn of our salvation. In Christ, there is strength and power to save us. Amen? We know, we know that, that he, it speaks of a house as well. And that house is talking about the promises of God. He's a promise keeper. But that holiness, that enables us to serve. Worship team, come on up. Listen, I don't want you to miss the point this morning. Salvation leads to sanctification, which leads to service. And so Jesus, listen, Jesus didn't just save you so that you could eat, drink, and take up space. Newsflash. Jesus didn't save you so that you could eat, drink, and take up space. He saved you so that you can make a difference in this world. He is holy and we are not. He makes us holy through Jesus Christ. He is the horn of our salvation, the power of God. We knew that he would come from the house of God. That means he's a promise keeper. And in his holiness, you and I have a purpose you're called to be a difference maker I like how Charles M. Schultz put it Christmas is doing a little something extra for someone else listen in the, in the clamor of Christmas madness don't let the noise of competing sounds and voices keep you don't let the noise keep you from hearing the true music of the season remember Zechariah's song about the horn of salvation reminding us of the power of Christmas the house of David reminding us of the promises of Christmas and the holiness of God's servant reminding us of the purpose of Christmas Zechariah concludes his classic Christmas carol with a prophecy over his son, John the Baptist, he says that John will prepare the way for the Lord, 
pointing people to the light of Christ, a light that shines in darkness and in the shadow of death and guides our feet to peace. That was the prophecy he gave over his son, John. And listen, I say we need to follow in John's footsteps this Christmas. You and I need to point people to Christ. We need to point them to Christ. Let them know that there's hope and purpose and peace in the Christ of Christmas. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Would you stand? Hallelujah. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord this morning. Every head bowed, every head closed. Hallelujah. This is a holy moment. I believe that God this morning, as we are on this journey to Christmas, he is wanting to remind us of His goodness. He is wanting to remind of, uh, us of His power. He is wanting to remind us of His, of his purpose for our lives and, and that He's a promise keeper. God is a promise keep, keeper. His desire is to save us. His desire is to heal us. His desire is to give us a new start. And this morning, if you are here and you have never said yes to Jesus, and I'm going to pause there because some people they, they kind of go over that too fast and they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I've said yes to Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm talking about saying yes to Jesus on purpose when you realize that you deserve justice and you don't want that justice. I didn't want justice. I didn't want God to give me what I deserve. Do you want God to give you what you deserve? I would hope not. I don't want justice. I want grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And right now, <clears throat> Jesus desires to save. He wants to be the horn of your salvation. He wants to give you a new start. He wants to put a purpose in your life. Some of you, you have been doing this and you have been doing that. You have been pursuing this and pursuing that and you never feel fulfilled and you never feel like you have it all together and you never, just when you think you've got it, it all escapes you because at the end of the day, you've got to realize there is a God-shaped hole in every human heart and Jesus wants to fill it. I don't know if there are any puzzle people in the house. When I was younger, there were times when I, I thought a puzzle piece fit in a certain section and you want to bang it into place. You want to force it into place. That's what we're like. We have tried forcing uh, all kinds of things into that Jesus-shaped hole. You have tried fulfill, you know, to fulfill yourself in a job. You have tried to fulfill yourself in a purpose. You have tried to fulfill yourself in so many things, but Jesus is the horn of your salvation. He's the only one that can fill that space. And so this morning, I'm asking you, if you have never said yes to Jesus, to seriously consider it, because that's the starting point. That is the place when you say, I don't want God's justice. I want His mercy. I don't want what I deserve. I want what God will give me. And God will give you peace 
and hope and an awesome future. And if you want that this morning, would you raise your hand all over this building? Would you raise your hand this morning? You want what God has for you. You want his peace. You want that new beginning. You want that cleansing. You want God to do it in your life. If that's you, real quick, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And listen, if you feel like you're not ready to do that, I would say today is the day. We're not promised tomorrow. Don't want to scare you. Today is the day. Make that new start today. Don't wait too long. You're not promised tomorrow. And so that's where we begin. I saw those hands go up and so did heaven. So did heaven. One more time, actually. Raise a hand or two. If that's you, you want that new beginning. You want that fresh start. I see those hands again. Thank you. Thank you. All over this building, thank you for saying yes to Jesus. That's the beginning. Thank you, Jesus. And so we're going to pray a prayer a prayer of salvation, a prayer of acceptance of the plan of God, a prayer of acceptance of Jesus as the horn of your salvation. And I just want you to, to mean it with your heart, mean it with your whole heart, follow after me. It's not magic or power in the prayer. It's the fact that the grace of God comes for you and to you this morning. And so would you say this morning, dear Jesus, come into my heart. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. Wipe away the sin and the brokenness in my life. Wipe away my past. Place my life in the palm of your hand. I say yes, Jesus. I say yes to you to your will and to your way be my savior be my lord be my god listen all of heaven if you meant that with your whole heart if you meant that with your whole heart prayer is faith prayer is exercising faith and so this morning, if you prayed that in faith, you exercised faith, and you said yes to Jesus, you invited him in, you invited him to be your savior, you invited him to be your Lord, and he is, and he is, and heaven rejoices, and we rejoice, hallelujah. Put your hands together, say yes, Jesus, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. But it's, it's not done there yet. Some of us, we need to just live in Jesus and walk in Jesus. And life gets us forgetting about Jesus. Holidays, they get us forgetting sometimes uh, about the reason for those holidays. We get caught up in the peripheral and all the stuff around it, in the gifts and in the festivities. But Christmas is about Christ. Christmas is about Jesus. And so listen, don't get distracted by all the noise. Don't get distracted by all the colors, by all the lights. Let Jesus be the reason for your season. Every day, I'm gonna pray for the rest of us. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus 
as a baby to be born of a virgin in a manger. Thank you for your plan of salvation. He lived a perfect spotless life. He did it for me. He bought my salvation. He purchased my salvation. And God, today and every day, I accept that for myself. I live for Jesus. I live for Jesus because of all that he's done. And so, Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen.